your Bible, open it to Exodus chapter three, and we are going to study the life of Moses together. Now, I know what you're saying. Many of you already know the story of Moses, but my hope is that you can put yourself in his shoes just a little bit. And through the, the scriptures that we're going to read and the stories we're gonna tell of Moses, and then in a moment when I interview Tenoria and what God has done in her life over the last five years, I hope that God speaks to you right where you're at. And I got to pray with somebody at the last service. I can't wait to see what he's gonna do with you. There's so many cool stories going on in this room throughout our uh, all Sunday morning. October 30th, we're gonna be baptizing more people. I'm so pumped. I don't know if Dave's at this service, but uh, Dave and I have been talking for two years and he's gonna get baptized on October 30th. So I can't wait, man. So many exciting things happen. And here's the big idea this morning. You won't see your life change if you don't dream of a God-sized life. Like if you don't really have a greater hope that God could do something with your life, that yes, you were created for a purpose, but it goes much beyond just your job or your career or the house that you desire or the car you'd like to drive. It even goes beyond the sports career of our children, if you can imagine that. To what could God genuinely do if I am fully empowered by him? I want you to start dreaming. You see, this church is full of broken people. We believe that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. Saul, who becomes Paul, writes what a lot of the New Testament starts most of the churches in the Roman Empire. He had overseen the killing of Christians until he encountered Jesus. Anybody can be transformed. The problem is with transformation, the metamorphosis part of it, it can be painful. It can leave you with doubts and insecurities. And we're gonna talk about that. Moses experiences that very thing. You've heard of Moses. You've seen the movies even, right? Some of you old school, you've seen Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. You know all about him. Some of you, you grew up and saw the Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt, Others of you, the gods of Egypt. I, I don't know where you're at on the spiritual spectrum this morning. That's just a great photo, isn't it? I don't know where you're at on the spiritual spectrum this morning, but I believe that God didn't just create you and redeem you, but he actually wants to become the person he created you to be. And I can tell you that is one of the greatest experiences of your life is getting to see God show up See, we think of the story of Moses and we know the movies, but could you imagine if you were him? We're gonna talk about this in a moment, but he actually murdered somebody in Egypt, if you remember the story, to protect his own Hebrew people. Then he flees to the wilderness, to the desert, where he'll meet his wife, start a family, and then he's gonna encounter God in a burning bush. And I'm gonna read that passage here in a moment in Exodus chapter three. God speaks to him. And he is asked to go back and free his people. Think about it. He is told to go there and tell the greatest, most powerful ruler of his day to let the hundreds of thousands of enslaved Hebrew people go so that they can no longer do his work and his bidding or God's gonna do something about it. I don't know about you, but I don't want that job. But it's only because Moses faces that in his life that he sees God show up. That's how risk-taking life change works sometimes. Are you ready to study God's word together this morning? Okay, thank you. The seven people I heard there, that was great. It's an improvement. You guys ready to study God's word together? Okay, here we go. Yeah, I feel it. Uh, beginning in Exodus chapter three, verse one. 
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. I love that name. He's from the south. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Can you picture it? Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, hmm, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. He's a real thinker. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. You know this part. Moses. In the movies, Moses. Some of us in the room this morning, you had a friend or a family member invite you here. You're watching online. And he's going to speak to you. It's not going to be any fancy words I share, but God, who I believe is living and active through his scriptures, is going to speak to you. He's going to say, hey, Paul. Hey, Matt. Hey, Deborah. Hey, Lisa. Listen up for a second. I got some things I want to share with you. He tells Moses in this passage, Moses responds, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. They said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. For those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus and you cry out to him, even though you may not hear an audible response, I want to tell you this morning that he hears you. He is listening to our burdens. He says, and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Mm -hmm. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's a famous statement in scripture about God's name. Here in this passage, it declares that he is the great I am. And you, what does that mean? See, am is in the present tense. He's always present. He's an eternal being that is always present in our lives wherever we are. Here in this passage, says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you exactly where you are, or it could also be translated, I will be what I will be. He is present in your life wherever you're at right now. He's eternally present being. My desire would be that the great I am this morning would speak to each of our hearts. And I'm not just talking to those of you who are new to Christianity. I'm talking to those of you who, like me, have known Jesus for decades And I can tell you, we have seen incredible things happen over the last five years of this church. And it's so easy, so easy for each of us to begin to become complacent. Forget the priorities of the great I am who is always present, not just in our past or in our future, but right here, right now, whatever we're facing. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we each come in here this morning and some of us were hurting Some of us, we are struggling with relationships, with marriages, with friendships, 
We're struggling with addictions and habits. Some of us, we are struggling with anger, remorse, unrepentance. God, some of us are struggling just to survive. We become complacent in our faith at times. We think more about surviving than how we can thrive in you. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room with us right now. Be with us and speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. So Moses in the story of the burning bush, he literally encounters God. And maybe for some of you, God has been speaking to you, or maybe this morning he's going to begin to awaken some of you. I always say that I think there are so many sleeping giants of the faith within our churches and within our culture that when God actually gets a hold of you and awakens you, not just to the reality of him, but the person he could transform you into becoming, you jump on this roller coaster ride with him that you never look back. It's the, I've never had more joy in my life than risking things for God and his kingdom. Last uh, night, as I was doing some final preps for this, uh, I had a really good friend stop by with his dad. And his dad walked through this building with us, and he had been at the very first service at the school five years ago, when there weren't a lot of people there, and we were asking God to do these big things. And to walk around and see this building, it was like, wow, look what has happened over the course of time. And the reason that's important to me is it's not just about this building. This is just a building but it represents for us the stories that come in here every single Sunday of people who literally are encountering God and being changed by him. It's happening again. You're gonna hear from somebody this morning who has experienced that very thing. What is he gonna do with you? See, my two hopes this morning, two action points, is that first of all, you begin to dream of a God-centered life. That for some of you, whether you've just become complacent or you haven't jumped on board with Jesus yet, that you begin to dream of a bigger, bigger God-sized life of what he could do with you, what you accomplish. In our services this morning, we have many people who have started new ministries because God stirred it within them. Last Friday night, somebody who became a Christian a few years ago put up a wrestling ring in this auditorium and had wrestling theology to tell people about Jesus through wrestling. Like, that's not normal. The person you are going to hear from this morning, she has told people about Jesus through food. I don't know what he's stirred in your life, but I want you to begin to dream with us and then start taking risks to see something happen with that because many of us dream, but we're not willing to take the risks to see God show up. Now, here's what I'm going to do. If you're taking notes this morning, get that pen out or get that iPad ready because I'm going to fly through this next part. Um, I've got six things that I want to take away from Moses. I'm going to go through five of them in like three minutes. So you ready to do this? Drink from the fire hose for a second. Three th- the, the five things first, and I'll do the sixth one after Tenoria. The truth about Moses was in this passage. Number one, maybe you're like this. He had a past. The truth about Moses in the book of Exodus was he had a past. In Exodus chapter two, he literally kills a man and flees for his life. And God is going to ask him to go back and face all of that. You got to pass this morning. You're not done. God can use you. Begin to dream of a greater God-centered life. Number two, Moses in Exodus chapter three, he encounters God through the burning bush. Some of us through this teaching series, you're going to have a burning bush moment in your life. And he's going to speak to you. And you're going to have a choice of whether or not you're going to respond to that. Number three, Moses the truth about Moses was that he was actually insecure. 
Did you hear what happened in verses 11 through 17 in Exodus 3 that we read? He said, Lord, who am I? (laughs) You want me to go do this? I'm nobody. See, some of you, God awakens these spiritual things in your life. He gives you a greater dream of what God could do, and you just think, "I, I could never see that happen. I'm not adequate enough. I can remember in my early 20s, I had become a Christian, I had gone to seminary, and I started working at this large church. I knew nothing about how to do ministry. And I, I was asked to speak in front of 5,000 people at the church that we attended. And as a young 20-something, I get up there and I'm like, I have nothing to offer. And most of the people who walked out that morning said the exact same thing. <laughs> but what happened through that over the course of time, God begins to awaken things in your life when you put yourself out. Moses was insecure. He even says, God, at one point, I can't do this. I can't even talk well. He goes, well, then make Aaron talk. And his brother Aaron will talk for him for much of the book of Exodus. Each of us must face those insecurities. Number four, Moses was empowered by God. He literally, in Exodus chapter four, he starts freaking out again, and he says, hey, Moses, take your staff out. Okay, he takes the staff. He's like, throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground, turns it to a snake. Well, that was weird. He says, okay, take your hand. Put your hand in your cloak. He puts the hand in the cloak. He says, take it out. He's got leprosy all over his hand. Put the hand back in the cloak. Puts it back in, pull it back out. Leprosy's gone. He says, I- I've got your back. Insecurities are normal. That's the humility that those create. That humility is what makes you rely on me rather than your own talents and abilities. That's what's gonna be world-changing. Moses will do that. It doesn't mean he won't doubt God, though. In fact, he sees God show up and he brings the 10 plagues, but he has multiple times where he's going to doubt God, including Exodus 4, 10 to 17. He's going to doubt that God is actually going to do the things that he is going to say he's going to do. You been there? Will you welcome Tenoria, my good friend T, up here as she comes to share with us this morning. You grab a seat right over here. Megan told me I had to sit here because the light was better. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We want you more prominent. That's much better. Here we go. We'll switch. Thank you. Good job, tech team, for noticing that. Um, I've known Tenoria for five years now uh, when we were first starting the church. And if you don't know, Tenoria is uh, just finished fourth on Fox's Master Chef, uh, a nationally syndicated show. And so she has got to experience all these things. I feel like for about 10 to 12 weeks, you were on some radio show or TV station like every single day. It was a lot. (laughs) I was not expecting that. So I asked her to come up a few weeks ago to share her story because you may hear these great things that she's done through Master Chef and this incredible, if you didn't get to follow her story, you got to watch it. I mean, uh, she doesn't want me to say this, but she should have won. I should have won. Isn't that right? She should have won. But uh, those evil judges, but we'll get beyond that. I've forgiven them. I want to ask you, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit, what was it like being on MasterChef, meeting Gordon Ramsay and all the, all the famous peeps? Um, Gordon Ramsay smells amazing, just in case you didn't know. He's <laughs> delightful. He really is not as mean as everyone. I mean, when it comes to food, don't mess up. But he's super teacher, mentory. He wants you to succeed. And even when he's in your face with those dreamy blue eyes yelling at you, you're thinking, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? You're a genius. So you, wow. you receive it well, even though it's harsh. <laughs> yeah. 
By the way, you have never told me that I smell amazing, so he must have smelled incredible. Yeah, you smell right. Talk to me later. I've got an idea for a show. It's called Master Preacher. Oh. It's going to involve, yeah. Well, you know, I know people in the industry. (laughs) There you go. So, hear the good stuff, all right? Yeah, like, you, you don't realize this, but she's been all over TV recently and all over these radio shows, and everybody's talking to her. And, and now, every time I see pictures, you're going out, and every famous chef wants to meet you guys. And, yes, being um, famous gets you free food. Yeah. Tell me, though, what, share, share your spiritual story with us. That's the part that I want to hear this morning is, like, over the last five or six years, and even beyond that, like, what's your, your story? Where have you come from and got to this point? So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, both of my parents are wonderful people, the best parents ever. My dad is so holy, sometimes I think he is Jesus. Um, but, you know, they're still madly in love with each other after almost 40 years. And um, you, you just kind of go through the motions, I guess you can say. I went to school, I got good grades, I graduated high school. You go to college because you're supposed to do those things. and. Um, actually during college I started my career and you become very career driven because that's what you're supposed to do right Um, and then you know the next thing in life is you get married because that's what you're supposed to do Um, but never during any of those times was it really um, am I living for Jesus like yes Jesus was a part of my life I knew who he was Um, but there was never a matter of me stopping and saying what is my plan and purpose why did Jesus put me on this earth? Um, I really didn't even think that that really mattered for me because I thought I was doing all the right things and that that was good enough. Um, But during my marriage, I was told on a regular basis that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't thin enough. Even my skin was too dark. Um, And not only was I communicated those things verbally, but those things were also communicated physically that I wasn't good enough. Um, So it pretty much came to a point where, okay, God, I'm doing all of the right things. And I felt like, God, why isn't that enough? Why, why I felt like God wasn't in it, but really he was. Um, And it just got to a point where I feared my life and I had to make a decision. So I wanted her to share that. And one of the things that we talked about ahead of time. Um, Tenoria doesn't want this to seem like, oh, hey, she got divorced and then she got to chase her dreams. Like, that, that would be the wrong message. She'd be the first to tell you, like, the, the couple years after that were extremely hard and extremely painful and wouldn't wish that on, on anybody. But to go through that kind of brokenness and life experience, that, that may not be your story or it may be your story, but you've experienced something where you feel like, like Moses, you got a past, there's no way God can use you. This is just, you just get through life, just survive, do your nine to five and just get through it. And over the past five years, I saw this incredible transformation that happened in you. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that. What role did Mercy Road play in that or a local church play in that? And what really helped foster the changes that occurred? Um. I started coming to Mercy Road um, about four and a half years ago, and um, I remember the very first time I sat in service, it was at the school, and I literally felt like Josh was sitting right next to me having a conversation with me. Um, And I can say that that was the first time that I thought that, okay, I'm not just doing all the right things for Jesus, but Jesus actually is talking to me. Um, And so... 
I started, uh, that first service, I was hooked. I was like, Mercy Road, so great. Um, and so after that, I joined an outpost. And, and really, it was in outpost that I realized that people are a hot mess just like me. And that's okay. Um, because what was so beautiful about the, the whole situation was that these people were a hot mess, but they still loved Jesus. And they still gave God all the glory, even for their hot messness. Um, yes, I've turned hot mess into a lot of different words. Um, but it was from Outpost and coming to Mercy Road and getting involved. And at one point, I told someone, when I walk into these doors, I feel like people look just like me. And what I meant by that was I can see people's brokenness because they're not ashamed of it. It's not taboo. Um, you're not condemned for it. Instead, you're loved on because of your brokenness. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't mention this at the first service. Uh, if you are interested in Outposts, we have a little magazine at the Connect Center. You can see, there's so many of them now. I didn't realize we actually had as many as we do, but check them out. Um, there's some phenomenal works happening there. In fact, most of the cool things that have happened in the church, they've all happened because an outpost surrounded somebody and chased their God-sized dream. From Christina, your friend, starting a ministry yeah. to people in need, right, in her own community as a single mom herself, to... Uh, Rich Abbott now having wrestling theology to the Northwest Indy Outpost and the work they're doing in an apartment complex there. I'm going to go through all of them. One, one of the outposts this morning, one of the Carmel Outposts is helping uh, raise funds for kids in need in downtown through Dayspring. I mean, it, it, through the, the clothing drive. I mean, there's so many cool things can happen there. But through that process, okay, so you get to the point, you're working at the credit union. You've worked your way through that. You've made a career out of it. You've gotten divorced, you felt broken, but then you found Christ, you got connected with a community surrounded around. Like, what made you get to the point that I'm gonna try out for Master Chef? <laughs> um, never in a million years did I think I belonged on national television at all. Um, I mean, my credit union job has me stand up in front of strangers every month um, and talk to them. So I felt a little comfortable, but um, it was really my community of people. Um, Janelle Utt, actually, if you guys know her, she's the one that told me I needed to audition for MasterChef. And, and even then, I thought, am I really good enough? Um, sure, I'm a good cook because my friends tell me that, but none of my friends are professional chefs. Um, but for some reason, I just felt like, okay, now it's time. Now I can do this. Because um, through my journey after divorce, I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Like, okay, God, I thought this is where you wanted me, but I don't know that I was necessarily living out your purpose. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? But because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you guys let me feed you, um, <laughs> whether it's a volunteer party or um, someone just had a baby and they need a meal or whatever the case may be, um, working my nine to five, I was just going through the motions because that's what you're supposed to do. But honestly, Mercy Road constantly asking me to make something, some kind of food is what helped me realize that I can show Christ's love through food. Prior to that, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, oh, <laughs> you, you can communicate Jesus through a meal? That didn't even cross my mind. Um, but, you know, once I started really communicating that, um, Janelle pushed me, and, and so did Christina Huffines. They both pushed me and kind of left me with no option but to audition. <laughs> That's good. They kidnapped you. They would have you dragged me there. Well, and, you know, through that process, did you ever doubt God? Did you ever wonder, like, what's going on and why am I doing this? 
Just, yeah, describe that a little bit. Absolutely. I, even today, still think every single day some kind of thought crosses my mind, whether it's just for a second or for a moment or whatever, that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not thin enough, I, I don't have value. Um, I literally think that every single day. So, of course, I'm at this audition, and for some reason, peace just came over me, and I was literally standing in this audition. In the very first audition, there's 25 people, including yourself, and I stood in there, and I'm like, I'm the best one out here. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus wants you to be arrogant, is what yeah, yeah, the yeah. message this morning is. I'm just <laughs> <But> kidding. <laughs> it really wasn't a matter of, like, these people, that I'm better than these people, but it was just like, God has me here for a reason. That's so cool. And whatever that reason is, he put me here to fulfill a purpose. So everyone else around me doesn't matter in that moment because God has me in this moment. And sure, the people around me don't know that, and that's fine because I'm here to serve his purpose. So, yeah, because what I love, since I've known Tenoria, and she brought up the idea of Tenoria's table or her, her work slash ministry, she, it's always been because of a, a calling. Like, she really believed God equipped me to do this, and I desire to show Christ's love. You know, it wasn't like you wanted to get on MasterChef and be famous someday. Like, you just wanted to serve people through food. And that's how God works sometimes, is you chase what he's instilled in you. So what helped you get to that point where you could be calm in the MasterChef kitchen when other people weren't? Um, a lot of Jesus, because I'm going to be 100% honest with you. When you are engrossed in the entertainment industry, you can become real unchristian real quick. Um, <laughs> I saw a couple of the episodes, Tenoria. Sorry, That's all guys. I did. I'm just kidding. The you actually did a great job. The restaurant takeover was not my <laughs> great moment. Um, but a couple of things. Right after my divorce, I someone gifted me the devotional um, called Colliding with Destiny by Sarah Jakes. Um, and it really was, that was the first time that I really pursued my purpose and realized that I could have all this junk and still turn, and still by, by the grace of God and by being graceful, I can still turn it into something beautiful. Um, and here at Mercy Road is where I started to develop a new kind of community. Yes, I've always had a great community. Um, but my community now versus five years ago is a lot different. Um, and so this community that I have now, it's these people that I, I honestly think are like little fairy happy robots because they are always kind. They are always generous. They are always gracious. They are always selfless. And I'm thinking... How do you do that? Because I can't do that. Um, but really surrounding myself around that community of people and um, even when I doubt myself, even when I'm mad at God, because I'm not afraid to tell God, yo, dude, I'm mad at you right now. I'm not happy with this situation. And he pretty much laughs at me and tells me to suck it up. But um, my, my community of people, I can, I can call them or I can text them and say, I'm mad right now for this reason. And they kind of snap me back in reality, but they do it in the most gracious way. Um, 
So cool. a sense of community. Words well, I love what you told me about what your mentor said um, about the words of affirmation. Yeah. So Tell, yeah. my mentor, um, she recommended that I put around scriptures of affirmation. So every time I doubt myself or I'm insecure or I'm concerned, I have these scriptures in my car, in my bathroom mirror, in my kitchen, because my kitchen is my favorite place. Um, I have these words of affirmation or scriptures of affirmation that reminds me, hey girl, you're the child of the most high. You're a daughter of the king. So when you doubt yourself or when other people put doubt into you, think about who made you. And God doesn't make mistakes and he made me. So anytime I doubt myself, I'm really questioning God. That's amazing. And I love what he's done through that. So the last thing, somebody's sitting out there, they feel like they want to chase a better vision for their life of what God could actually use them to do. Um, what would you encourage them with? What would you tell them to somebody out there that's thinking about risking everything for God's purposes? Um, the first thing you have to do is own up to your insecurities. Um, realize what they are and don't be afraid of them. And when you're able to take those insecurities and, and use them for something, you, you, it allows you to encourage other people. It makes you feel a little empowered, like, oh yeah, I can do this. I, I got God behind me. And God has literally given me words that I didn't realize I had or, or put me in situations that I didn't think were possible. Um, but surrounding yourself around, uh, or surrounding yourself with God's words, um, studying God's word. I, um, during MasterChef, I was super calm, super peaceful. Christina Huffines and my mom can both tell you, during our apron battles, I mean, this was determining if you were going to be on MasterChef for five minutes or if you were going to be on MasterChef for the long haul. So it was a big deal. But I sat on that balcony so at peace, so calm. And people kept looking at me like, why is she so calm? Like, she's not worried. She's not concerned. Um, and a couple of girls walked up to me afterwards, and they said, I know why. And it turned out that those turned out to be my God friends from MasterChef. And really, from that point on, we started doing devotions every Sunday up until the time they got eliminated um, while we were in our hotels in L.A. So... Um, you, I was in the entertainment industry. Trust me, I heard a lot of things that I didn't want to hear. But I still made sure that I had Jesus in my pocket everywhere I went. Um, so really, if anyone wants to chase a dream, first of all, I didn't think I had a dream. So you have a dream. You just got to figure out what it is. And once you do, fight those insecurities as hard as you possibly can. And the best way to do that is with the armor of God. So cool. Can we thank Tenoria for sharing with us? And I love all God has been doing. And so I love that last. I mean, who would have thought that five years ago, not only would you go and try out for MasterChef, you'd make the show, you'd be a top four contestant, and you'd start a Bible study while you're there. Like that doesn't happen unless we begin to really believe that God can show up and do some things. As we close this service, I want to give you the sixth and final takeaway about Moses. The truth about Moses was he literally saw the Red Sea part. See, everybody in our lives today, we want to pray big prayers and we want to see the Red Sea part, but nobody wants to be standing at the edge of it, counting on God to part the ocean, the sea, while Pharaoh and his army is coming to kill us. 
We all want to see God show up, but we don't want to have to put any risk out there that we have to count on him that he has to show up because of our insecurities, because we doubt him, because we wonder if it will really happen. The greatest moments of my life have occurred when I've actually taken risk where God had to show up. The best part about planting this church and seeing all God has done in people's lives over the last five years for me has been getting to see God show up more in my own life. Like my own faith has grown over the last five years because when you take a risk and he shows up, it makes you want to trust him more and take even bigger risks for him. I often tell people Joshua saw the sun stand still in the Old Testament, but Joshua had to trust God many times before that moment, before he got to the place where he would put himself in a way that God would have to show up with such a fantastic miracle. Maybe for some of us this morning, we need to start believing and trusting God. You're going to have to show up. And in case you are insecure about that, if you do have the doubts, Moses did too. Tenoria did too. Every person who's ever seen God show up did too. And we think my, my relationship can't be healed. I'm always going to be like this. It's just who I am. I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. God created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He has a great plan and purpose for your life. It's a great plan, not a plan. It's to take care of you, protect you, not to harm you. That's his desire for your life. And it's only when you begin to actually allow God to show up. And I want to give you just a little bit of encouragement this morning. I said to underline or circle in that passage, that famous passage about I am that I am. That God in that passage tells Moses, I am the eternal being that is present all the time in your life, right where you are. You see, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, Billy Graham was famous for pointing this out. I was checking an old message from the 80s in China. And he preached on the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And I just want to read them to you. As Jesus is declaring to those people, using the phrase I am over and over again, that yes, he was fully human, but he was also fully God. The same empowerment that Moses had when he went to Egypt is the same empowerment that the Spirit of God is in the lives of those who call themselves Christians today. That whatever you're facing, not only are you not alone, you are empowered by the Almighty God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, to face it. Here's what he says, Jesus in John 6, I love this, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. If you are in great darkness, come towards the light. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. There are many doors to your house, but there is only one door to the kingdom of God, and it's through Jesus. John 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine. If you want to produce fruit for God in your life, you have to be connected to the great vine. He says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He protects and guides you. He says in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. We don't just trust him for the here and now. We trust him for eternity. And finally, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus declared, just as the great I am was always present. And he spoke to Moses through the burning bush. So now we know in Matthew chapter, in the early parts of Matthew, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And the great I am had entered into the world itself so that you could know that you could trust him. And he was not afraid to risk everything for you. He lived 30 years and then three years of active ministry. 
And he's rewarded with that by being crucified after man did carry a tree trunk a mile up a hill and being whipped with a cat of nine tails 39 times close to the point of death. And when he gets to the top of that hill, they'll nail him to the cross where he won't bleed to death, but he will suffocate to death. And his dying words, he will cry out that it's been paid in full once and for all, all of your brokenness, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of your past, just like Moses and just like the rest of us that have brokenness. You can bring that to him at the foot of the cross. You say, the uh, great I am is present with me. Forgive me, help me, make me new, transform me. I'm willing to face it. I'm willing to sacrifice. You risked everything for me. Now I'm going to risk everything for you. This life is short and we get this opportunity to see how God could use us. Let us not become complacent. He is strong enough. He is good enough. He is compassionate enough. He is powerful enough. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you have uh, literally transformed Tenoria's life over these last five years. And I've seen it not just on TV. I've seen it behind the scenes. I've seen the way that she talks about you the way that she had a group of friends come in a half an hour early to pray over her before the first service, that she desires to know you more and to make you famous and to use her platform for your purposes. God, there are some people in this room right now that you are awakening to you. And just like you spoke to Moses, 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 you are speaking into their lives right now. For some of us as Christians, they're awakening you, saying you do not become complacent. This life is short. Use it for my purposes. Trust me, risk everything for his kingdom. If that's you, I want you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I need you. I want, I want to go away with you more and more to serve you, to live for eternity and not just for now. May I risk it all. May you overcome my insecurities, my brokenness and my past. May you erase the doubts that I have and may I chase you always. And then the reality is, God, for some in the room right now, they've never confessed you as Lord of their life. They don't have eternal salvation is what we believe, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the only door. And if that is you here in the room and you want to surrender your life to the great I am, to Jesus Christ here this morning, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect either. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I surrender my life to you because of your death and resurrection. I get forgiveness. And so right now I repent. Forgive me, God, for my wrongdoing. Use me. Help me to dream of a God-centered life. God, we thank you for those that you're speaking to and you're moving in their life right now. And we surrender everything to you. May you use this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.